This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to People Talk. People Talk is about getting ahead at work, becoming a leader, establishing your personal brand, and motivating yourself and those around you. Hosted by Angela Hall, who has decades of experience working in the field of human resources, you can expect lively discussions about topics like workplace politics, dealing with difficult employees and clients, creating an inclusive workplace, and jump-starting your career. Here's your host, Angela Hall. Hello, this is Angela Hall, and welcome to another episode of People Talk. People Talk is where we talk about things related to uh, leadership, your career, work-life balance, how to motivate your employees to provide that great customer service, employee engagement, um, and all the things related to work and just life in general. So thank you for um, joining me and uh, welcome back if you had heard some previous episodes. Uh, We had a little bit of a hiatus this summer And um, I'm considering this to be season two of uh, People Talk. As we start um, thinking about the fall and here in Michigan, getting our um, apple cider and football. Um, So today I'm gonna talk about um, a topic that um, I'm doing some research on and and a topic that's had a lot of attention over the last three or four years, which is code switching. So code switching is um, uh, been the topic of a movie, um, Jordan's Peele, uh, Sorry to Bother You, uh, when a telemarketer went from speaking in a quote-unquote Black-sounding voice to a quote-unquote uh, White-sounding voice, and his sales went through the roof. Um, people of color are very much... Um, aware of this situation. And um, I, myself included, I know that I might speak differently in front of, uh, you know, uh, people who grew up with me on the South Side of Chicago, or um, my, uh, I'm a first generation Panamanian American, my Panamanian American relatives, than what I would speak, uh, maybe if I'm at work. And we all engage in some measure of impression management. Um, I mean, we, for example, uh, we'll go to a, a Zoom meeting in our pajamas, but we wouldn't go to work in our pajamas, right? Because we would think that that's not appropriate. But um, we act that we have our public face and we have our private face and we have the way we act at home versus and the people we're comfortable with. But for people of color or people from historically marginalized groups, immigrants, um, This level of code switching has um, um, been increased even further. Um, I know that, for example, when I am going on an interview, for example, I was interviewing for a job um, um, really not that long ago, and I took out my braids, for example, and I put in um, a hair weave because I felt that that was more um, socially acceptable code switching, and maybe that wasn't right, right? But I felt that I would be seen as being more able to fit in. And, you know, I look back, I'm like, wow, was I, I was a sellout. Um, you know, so as I have my, my natural hair back in, I'm feeling pretty good about myself right now. 
But the notion that um, we speak in certain types of ways um, or act in certain types of ways. And I think code switching, you know, a lot has been concentrated on the, um, the notion of the way we talk and, um, you know, say speaking in certain, like a certain vernacular or, or like people call it uh, Ebonics or African-American vernacular English. For me, you know, it might be some of that because I grew up on the South Side of Chicago, but it also might be some of that kind of um, Jamaican Patois, uh, Panamanian type of accent or uh, terms that I heard growing up, I wouldn't use those, for example, in the workplace. Um, why is that? Is it because I want to be more acceptable? Is it because I want to fit in? Um, it, and you see that a lot of times, particularly, for example, when I was an untenured professor, before I had the job security of tenure, I wouldn't, you know, I was very, very more formal. Once I got to a position where I felt more secure, I was putting, I was doing things such as um, um, wearing my natural hair or feeling a little bit more uh, comfortable to use um, a slang term to, uh, for some emphasis. And, you know, I was reading an article recently. So I'm doing some work on code switching and how persons um, actually engage in this, particularly immigrants or first-generation people, how African-American people um, uh, have to, um, or feel that they have to change their identity in the workplace and put on a more, um, quote unquote, sanitized type of front, one that looks more so like um, mainstream white America in order to have career advancement. And you may say, Angela, Angela, you're an extremely paranoid person. You know, you may say, I am a person who, and you know, I'm not, I'm not an African-American and I act differently, but um, at work versus at home. But there's studies that really show that um, when, um, for example, when I, um, I was just, for example, listening um, to NPR today, and I was listening to the research that I always cite and talk about uh, from um, um, Professor Klein um, um, uh, from University of California, and also it was done in conjunction with um, some researchers from University of Chicago. And what they um, discuss are um, they've sent out many, 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 many resumes. And they had the quote unquote black sounding names versus the non-black sounding names or the female names versus the male names. And we know that in many, many industries that when resumes were sent out with names that sounded more black like Jamal or uh, a name like that, um, they were less likely to be um, accepted or someone requested that they wanted an interview with them versus them having a more white sounding name, like for example, Jared. Um, I thought about that consideration myself when I was naming my daughter. Um, I wanted to have a name that was you know, indicative of my uh, maybe Panamanian culture, but I didn't want her to be with a name, which I actually felt might hinder her. So you know, we finally came up with a name and my husband and I were okay with that. But um, that's a consideration that people of color or, or, or uh, um, immigrants or people who are from the Latinx community who may feel that um, you know, that their names 
may uh, hinder them. And I'm gonna circle back to the Latinx comment in a little bit. So the notion of, okay, um, most of us don't change our names because we are, um, you know, at least our first names, we don't change them. Um, because even if we are uh, saddled with a name that might give us some problems, you know, I guess we, you know, we grew up with that name. I know a faculty member and she has a name which some may say is black sounding and she uses her initials. And I've, she's done that professionally as long as I know her. And I, I know she does that because she feels that she will be more likely to get published that way. Um, but it's an additional pressure that you have to hide things that are unique to your own culture, your upbringing. Imagine having to hide your name by initials because you feel that you will be um, marginalized or such. But there's a lot, a lot, a lot of research. And like this, like I said, the study that Klein and colleagues did uh, involved tens of thousands of uh, resumes and they saw the same trends that you know, people who had like, for example, black sounding names were discriminated against in the sense that those, those resumes weren't moved forward. Another issue that, talk, that relates to um, speech, you know, we're talking about code switching, using certain type of vernacular. Like for example, um, if I were a bunch, around a bunch of Panamanians, I, had, I might say, uh, you're gonna hang out with your Gayal, like Gayal is like your little gang or like your little group or your little clique of people. Like I would not use that word, you know, like in other settings. Or if I were um, um, seeing my friend, Tony, we grew up together. We've been friends from the South side. Um, we may use some South side vernacular, like, you know, like in calling each other, like, you know, sister and things like that. Um, I was reading an interesting article and it talked about this. Much of the slang that you see as internet slang, the slang that teenagers use really comes from uh, black culture, from the word fleek that uh, someone used to describe um, eyebrows a few years ago that looked really good um, to words like, you know, I'm going to diss you, um, what's up, other terms that were really kind of like uh, more kind of colloquialized um, African-American terms have really been, um, I'm not gonna use the word appropriated, some people would say appropriated um, by the larger mainstream dominant white culture in the United States and other places. And, you know, some may say, well, um, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. And um, on the one sense that um, African-Americans are considered to be cool and at the cutting edge of culture and things like that. But on the flip side of that, it's a notion that, okay, I'm cool, but yeah, and you're mimicking me, but is it like you are number one, taking away my uh, aspects of my culture? Or number two, are you um, doing things that are like, you know, I'm punished when I use those as a person of color, but people who aren't uh, persons of a color, they're just cool when they use it. So there is a double standard. Another thing that I think is a real important note is that um, when people of color, um, are interacting with people who aren't of color, um, when they hear um, terms like, okay, for example, 
I saw um, a boss of mine and I, and I, if he's listening to this, he, you know, I uh, talked about this not too long ago when he was interacting with um, a distinguished vice president who was an African-American, he kept on saying, yeah, man, and what are you doing, man? And what do you do? He would punctuate his sentences with man. And I'm like, but he wasn't doing that with the other vice presidents that he was talking to who were white. And after I said, you know, you're using man after end of those sentences. What is that all about? And he was like, you know, he didn't mind. And I had talked to that vice president afterwards. And I said, were you offended by that? And there's a notion too that a lot of times when people of color, particularly African-Americans, are being uh, spoken with by um, people who aren't African-American, that people try to use type of colloquialisms that they feel that we use um, in our own language as a way of connecting with us or making it so that we can understand. And there was a really interesting um, 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 article in um, the uh, paper in front in Atlanta, um, the um, Star Constitution, talking about how um, you know someone was saying, you know, someone was doing to me at, that to me, and it made me feel like were they trying to talk to me like like I'm an idiot, and that's like the only way they can like understand me, and like and sometimes people feel like they're doing it cool or make you feel comfortable. In other ways, it's kind of like really insulting. And, you know, I am not the angry black woman. I am married to a white guy who was born in Alabama. And I, um, you know, so, and I'm not, and so it's like, I am not here to like dump on white people. Um, but I think that it's important to realize, to bring it to people's attention, that sometimes you're engaging in things that might be viewed as offensive, a microaggression, uh, insensitive, and, a lot of times people don't understand it's the cumulative effect of that. So it's like, sometimes someone does that to me and you know, okay, you might say, well, you're being too sensitive, but it's like, if someone like picks an area, like a scab, like a thousand times, or like even something that's not a scab a thousand times it, in that same area, it starts to get irritated. And like, you may start to feel offended, hurt, shy away from those types of in interactions. So I think that's really important when you're talking about, in, in the context that I'm doing now, I'm talking about um, uh, people of color and that specifically African-Americans have been the focus of this um, conversation, but it could also be other groups. Like I have friends who are a Muslim faith, regardless of race, and you know, questions that people may kind of center around like, hey, like, um, why are you wearing this type of dress? Or why are you um, doing this type of thing? And you know, you may think you're trying to connect, but being asked that all the time, depending on the individual, it may be like, wow, this is really stressful and stress-inducing. And so I, I encourage people to um, you know, not be afraid to have conversations with people, but on the other hand, recognize that there's some sensitivities, not to try to default to discriminatory or not discriminatory, what you think is the stereotype. Like, I think that you're an African-American, so I think there's just, you're going to like this, or I'm going to uh, like that. 
And so like um, another thing that I'm doing in research is the differential experiences of, of African-Americans versus African uh, people of African descent who are in the United States who um, are immigrants. Like, so, so I am uh, a descendant of someone who was from the, from people who are from the transnational state, uh, um, uh, uh, transatlantic slave trade, um, you know, who were in Jamaica and Panama and places like that. But um, my culture in some ways is very different from African-American culture because my family is from Panama and we have like different traditions and things like that. Um, and so you may look at me and see my dark skin, but not realize that, hey, you know, there are some com commonalities because I am descended from slaves, I am of African descent. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean that all people of color or whatever group, all Muslims, all whatever are monolithic. So I'm really trying to do research and trying to encourage people to look at more than broad categories and look at like more, um, more uh, fine-tuned ways of looking and finding ways that you can encourage people to be open about sharing about their different backgrounds, their different experiences, and so that you can learn from them. Like for example, Panamanian people have like such great food, fried plantain, fried yuca, arroz con pollo. And you know, so, and if you may look at me and think that, okay, I'm African-American, so I eat like what you might consider to be soul food, I, you know, I don't, you know, well, I might go to soul food restaurant, but that's not my history or my, my background. And so, um, you know, if you don't know that about me, you don't know that like all oh, this great food that I'm going to be making tomorrow. And I'm going to be sharing with some of my friends who know my background. So um, I think that I've kind of given you a whole lot to think about um, in this episode. And so like, I, I really encourage you to uh, reach out to me. I am, uh, my email is athall at msu.edu and ask me questions. And also I'm looking for people to be on my podcast. I, um, I have interesting people. If you have an interesting topic or issue, feel free to reach out to me. Um, and um, remember that um, we are going to be dropping new episodes of People Talk on um, Thursdays. And um, I hope that you come back for another episode. And please listen to other ep episodes of other shows on the CXM Radio Network. And with that, I ask you to um, take care and be well. And thank you for listening to People Talk. Thanks for listening to another episode of People Talk with Angela Hall. If you enjoyed today's episode, Please share it with your friends and colleagues, and remember to subscribe to our show. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, and visit cxofm.org for more resources.